The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. The same uh, contact details apply, that uh, being at Anton Savage Show or 53106. If there are any questions you would like to put to Antishuk Michal Martin, who joins us in studio ahead of the Fianna Fáil Ordesh or ahead of his speech this afternoon at the Ordesh, which kicked off yesterday in the RDS. You will be able to correct me, Tishak, if I'm, I'm wrong on this, but I think it is the first time that a Fianna Fáil leader has given an Ordesh speech knowing and having announced that he's going to step down as Taoiseach. So there's a, is there a valedictory element to it that wouldn't normally be there? No, not quite. I mean, I think we are in a different political world uh, and you can see what's happening across Europe. If you look at the Swedish election, if you look at the Italian election, um, and particularly in Ireland with multi-seat proportional representation, you're going to have a range of parties. That means coalition governments and that means the kind of... Um, uh, coalition that we currently have. We made this agreement well in advance um, in terms of a parity of esteem between bo- both main parties and in the Green Party as well in terms of the portfolios uh, that they were uh, sought and, and, and were allocated. Um, but and it so is th- interesting though to be a Fianna Fáil leader standing at a North Ash knowing that you're is, going it, to it, hand it, the office to a Fine Gael leader. There was a time when that would have been unthinkable. Yeah, because we are in a different era in respect of politics and it, it calls for greater humility, it calls for greater pragmatism um, in, in terms of, of, of focusing on the issues and what holds the government together is the programme for government. It's what was took a long time before the government was formed if you remember because there was serious policy discussions around climate change in particular and the kind of targets we're setting ourselves the laws we had to pass how do we restore biodiversity loss and protect our biodiversity the housing issue the health issue um, and um, so there's a lot of work went into that uh, pro- programme for government in education and childcare and so on and then you're hit with COVID-19 so it's the programme for government is now the glue that holds the government together. Well, go and, back for a minute and, though. And you can, you know, we, we are, I take your point, uh, historically and indeed in politics more generally, personalities always come into it. But there comes a time too when we must always assert the primacy of policy and substance okay. above all of that. You mentioned COVID. In, in most cases, now it, sometimes it takes a lot of hindsight for the view to form, but with most Taoiseachs, when you look at their period of Taoiseach ship, to, to use that term, mm-hmm. there is a sort of a single thing with which they're associated as their success. So you had Bertie Hearn in Northern Ireland, you would have had Enda Kenny and, and dealing with the uh, financial crisis. From your perspective, as you look back at your period, what do you think yours is? Well, I think the quite clearly COVID defines a significant part of my Taoiseach ship, if you, to use your phrase. And getting through COVID was a significant achievement for the country. Uh, and it was the country and the people of the country. And in respect of not just, or, you know, in terms of relative to the UK, relative to the European average, Ireland did very well. Although many, many people still mourn the loss of loved ones because it was a terrible virus and it just was unprecedented in its impact on our society. And, and you're, on you're measuring that in excess deaths. And uh, in excess deaths, yes. And also, I'm conscious that there will be a long term impact of COVID on our society yet to be determined almost psychological in terms of how we behave um, and, and so forth and innovation as well that, that will fuel industry. But parallel with that then was the restoration of the economy. Like to bring Ireland back to full employment almost within a year of um, uh, leaving the emergency phase of COVID was some achievement by the country. I mean, there are 400,000 people more working today than there would have been when this government took office. Uh, and because and we would have anticipated it would have been 2024 
in our economic recovery plan that we would have brought back full employment. But it's happened two years in advance. And that is a significant achievement. And why? It's because of the industrial and economic policy that we've been following consistently over the last three or four decades. There's one aspect of that industrial uh, policy that I'd like your view on, which is we are at a position where now effectively we have a money tree in the form of corporation tax. We have huge corporation tax receipts that to any government would be a massive windfall. And they are hugely biased towards a very small cohort Mm -hmm. of companies, 10 providing uh, roughly half the receipts. How concerned are you about that imbalance in in the um, taxation? I would be concerned about it and we need to be very conscious of it. And that's why we took a prudent approach to the budget. And that's why we've put some funding this year, two billion uh, into a reserve fund and four but billion. But how do you migrate away and from four them as billion, tax and, f- and four billion into next year. First of all, by not uh, using it all for current expenditure. And, and we decided not to do that. Uh, and that's why, for example, the budget had two elements to it. There was the core budget, uh, close to seven billion. And then there was the once off packages uh, to alleviate the pressures on households and businesses arising from this terrible and that's what inflationary the, the, crisis. That corporation tax doesn't get baked into the system. Correct. That it? Right. that it doesn't get embedded, that the revenues that we get from it don't get embedded into the system. No, we still are not where we should be in respect of that. We think we'll be okay next year in terms of the revenues that are coming in. And that's why we have to be extremely careful. And markets can see this. And we see in the United Kingdom in terms of what's happening, in terms of how the markets are judging budgetary issues there. Uh, the opposition here wanted us to go much higher, up to 15 to 20 billion. Uh, and they wanted a blank check for the energy companies on a cap and that could, and the markets would have seen that for what it was and so therefore the budget we came up with is designed to say to the markets and to say to people generally uh, you know there's full visibility there um, and, the and it's were confident in saying to the markets that a cap was possible Sorry, the Germans. The Germans, but again, there's different the caps in different situations. But in our situation, you know, it, there's two things. First of all, there's no no detailed costing in relation to it, and there's different types of caps as well. I, I prefer um, taxing the uh, once-off uh, windfall profits that companies are earning and bringing that back into the revenue base. That's the, the approach I would favour because I do think there needs to be demand reduction. I do think there needs to be a focus on energy efficiency alongside measures to help families cope with the extraordinary increases in, in electricity prices that they're currently having to deal with. While we're talking about um, economic matters and, and taxation matters, there's a, an interesting take in today's uh, Irish Daily Mail about the policy in respect of the levy on cement to deal with um, the uh, pyrite and all of that. Um, the headline being, remember Bruton's vat on children's shoes, now it's concrete blocks. Why are you passing on the cost of that to people building houses? That's a crazy uh, comparison. <laughs> I mean, it, it, but to get me more serious in terms of the issue. Um, like why not just pay out a general but, taxation? But, but, but the general issue is this. I mean, first of all, we are looking at between MICA, but we've estimated and provided for about 2.8 billion. Pyrite already there's been substantial money paid out and a further 500 million. And the apartment defects issue in, in, in Dublin will cost uh, very huge money as well. And the, the view was, again, back to my point about managing the economy and showing to people like that there is no free kind of lunch out there for anybody. I don't mean that in any kind of um, negative way other than to, that's the reality and you have to show some revenue uh, on the other side to say we're going to have to re- raise revenue to deal with some of this over a period of time. But effectively now, it's going to get passed on to those who are trying to buy houses. But, but we have to give crisis. a message to the sector as well that this kind of defective block uh, syndrome just can't continue on. It's, we did it with the insurance levies. 
Don't you but, know? But, you but remember PM, PMPA you remember case PMPA in and all that going way back thirty odd but years. But take that, then, uh, Tisha, the PMPA levy. The people who paid for it were those getting insurance. When you went to get your car insurance, you got a breakdown that said, "Now cough up another three percent to pay for PMPA going bust." It hurt the consumer. It didn't hurt PMPA. Well, it, well, I think it did hurt the insurance industry overall. But I think it also was it was a factor. No, we will work through this in the finance bill, and we will take on board people's comments and representations on it. Um, and um, but I. I do think it's important to, it serves as a reminder to people as well that if you're allocating up to anything between four and six billion you know over the next number of years to deal with all of these issues and it's not a high political price to pay I mean to, to be associated with saying to people you're going to if you're building a house well, we're you're going to, you're going to have to reach into your pocket to pay for we're the pirate problem well we don't believe it all has to be absorbed by the consumer and secondly we will look at, at the finance bill in terms of how we can uh, make sure that it doesn't have that uh, excessive impact that some are saying it will have uh, that certainly isn't our take on it from the Department of Finance but from your perspective it's an figures. ideological thing is to put the marker down to but say I, I wouldn't say ideological but I do think it's a prudent thing to say to people that if you, you know, every time we talk about allocating billions, there has to be some degree of revenue coming to meet it. We've just discussed how the corporation tax revenue, you know, some of it is once off, some of it may not sustain into the future. Therefore, we can't embed that into the uh, revenue base. Um, and, and likewise, if we're allocating huge amounts of expenditure, we've got to identify how we're going to recover some of that expenditure. And would people not say that, what, that the issue is a regulatory one rather than an expenditure one, that what you do is you say, well, OK, we will, we will alleviate the pressures on the consumer out of general taxation and deal with the pyrite and all the rest of it. And then we will regulate the industry in terms of quarrying and construction mm-hmm. to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Yeah, well, there is, there, there is a regulatory side to this, of course, um, and that is happening. I mean, there are new regulations and legislation coming in to have a stronger um, regulatory framework. But with the best of regulation, one gets bad behaviour. Uh, I take your point. Is, is there a more ideal way of targeting the bad behaviour as opposed to everybody having to pay for that? I, I take that point. But that's easier said than done. I asked you earlier on the, the thing that you think will be the, the positive characteristic associated with your uh, premiership, which you just talked about in terms of COVID. Is the negative the housing crisis? Well, I think not, not in some respects. I mean, it is the biggest issue. It's the biggest social issue facing the country. Uh, and I think part of the issue has been to try and get a momentum going in house building. Now, that is happening. COVID hit us hard with the two lockdowns in terms of construction. But we will get to 25,000 houses this year, but that's not enough. I am satisfied that we are building more houses and we will build more houses. And Fianna Fáil has always had a tradition of building houses um, down through the years in the 30s and the 50s in social housing. So we will have a record number of social housing in decades now this year, but it's still not enough. And our but partners in government this working been... with us, we put together, um, it's an all-party cabinet committee, I chaired it. Uh, we have secretary generals of department working on various work streams. We have all government departments keyed into this. This is the number one social okay. issue facing L- us. Let me put it so to you. But hang on for a minute, Sometimes you're not going to see the fruits of that kind of hard work and the legislation that we've passed as well as setting up the Land and Development Agency and so on. That will bear fruit in terms of more housing and because we need more housing okay, well, for the next 10 years to, a, a to deal with the crisis that. that we're currently dealing Where with. When you talk about the bearing of fruit from this, um, you in 2017 talking about the housing said, if you became Taoiseach, quotes, I'd bring in the housing people with the Minister for Housing and tell them what we're going to do. I'd get houses built and I'd get this housing thing sorted and I wouldn't hang around. I wouldn't be looking for excuses. That's what it. Do- that's what I do. It is shocking. It is a scandal that we have children living in hotels. I think it's off the Richter scale and we should do something about it. 
And we are. Five years ago. And we are. And I went into government in 2020. And we dealt with COVID. We had two lockdowns. But we didn't hang around. We didn't hang around. We've passed a lot of legislation. Okay, to set up the land. Land Development Agency bill was going on for quite a long time. We got it sorted um, to get an agency to start building houses on state lands. We are building houses now. Uh, and we will reach the target that was set uh, in our strategy for 25,000. But it's not enough. But uh, if you juxtapose that, I mean, that, that's five to, years ago. We, yeah, st- we have now, what, 3,000 children? I wasn't in government five years ago. Uh, no, indeed, I'm but in you have been now for several years. No, two years. Two and a half. Okay. Two and a half years. We haven't sat around. We have called in the departments. My own sec, Jen, is chairing an, an interdepartmental group to say housing is the number one issue. We want houses built. Uh, and that is the focus of government. Delivery is the key, I acknowledge. We've gone to the local authorities. We said we want social houses built. We want affordable houses built. The first home scheme is now in law. It's up and running to help first time buyers. The help to buy scheme has been continued, uh, has been expanded. That's helping first time uh, buyers as well to buy houses. On all metrics, house building is up. Um, But we are dealing with a growing population. And you're missing your own targets. Well, we're missing some targets, not in terms of the house building this year. We will make, we will meet our target in terms of the number of houses that will be built this year. Uh, next year, uh, I want to maintain the focus, and I'm saying to departments and officials, we need to review review the plan to make sure that we can reach next year's targets. Uh, and we're working with approved social housing bodies who are doing a fantastic job and uh, what out do you there, think and also the local authorities in terms of social housing. You described, Chair, the... the, um, the um, interdepartmental approach that you are taking to it. When you look at that and you say, what are the driving problems or what are the main obstacles to achieving those targets? From the insides, what do you see them as? Delivery, um, which can relate to planning, uh, design, public spending codes, um, necessary sort of checks that, that are on. But I think we, 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 particularly on the planning side, I think there's too much nimbyism in the country. Uh, I, th- I don't think we have the luxury to keep on objecting to housing projects the length and breadth of the country because the crisis is too severe for that and the younger generation need access to houses. Um, and if there's one challenge, it's getting through the planning system more effectively. Now, we have major work underway in relation to the planning system. The Attorney General has led a team to fundamentally overhaul the entire planning code in respect of these issues uh, because we it's, things are, projects are taking too long to get delivered from announcement uh, to the end stage, just taking too long. Uh, you take Devaney Gardens in Dublin. Uh, you take Oscar Trainer. Scandalous. Although uh, it, going it, in and many out of, of the those city who council, will oppose will say that the reason that they are opposing is not necessarily nimbyism; it's that they disagree with the blend of housing that yeah, maybe which is nonsense. Come on. All we're going to do this year is 25,000 houses. I want to. Be, I want to be doing 35,000 houses. Are we really saying for ideological reasons? That every single house has to be public housing on public land, that we can't have affordable housing, that we can't have some private, that we can't have some social, that we can't have some cost rental. That's what I like about Dara Bryan's approach. He's brought in new ideas around cost rental and is really giving it scale, but it's going to take time. But are we really saying it's good enough to delay a housing project five years because you don't like the mix? Finally, I mean, that, that is, that, that's at the core of what's wrong. Finally, I want to ask you about is the, we, we started talking about the, the Ordesh, which of course you're heading to after this. It, yeah. it is an interesting period in politics and you, of course, a, a student of politics for uh, many years. The shift from civil war politics to the right-left split, which has happened in the last number of, uh, of years, 
Do you ever see it going back the way it was? No. Could I say to you, you know, you might have heard me saying this before. I don't buy this thing of the civil war split. I think that's a lazy analysis of Irish politics. I think it dismisses how the choices that Irish people took over the last 100 years. This has been a successful state since independence, by the way. But I mean, how, how did you we, define the split then? Because Fianna Fáil was formed in 1926 to get away from the civil war. Fianna Fáil would never have become the party it became if it was still a civil war party. And but it was hardly a right-left ideological split between yourselves and Fine Gael. I never said that. But it's not civil war politics either. Civil war politics was dead and buried in the, in the, in the 20s, in real terms. Like Fianna Fáil had to bring in people who were, po- who were pro-treaty. Pro-treaty people joined Fianna Fáil after 27 and in the third. I can name the names in Cork because that's the bit I studied. The Dowdalls were coming in well. Uh, W.T. Cosgrove appointed J.C. Dowdall as a senator. His brother stands for Fianna Fáil in 27. And there was other issues around protectionism that was big at the time. And there's other issues around rural issues that were big at the time. This idea that everything has to be left and right, I've never agreed with. And there's nothing but wrong. But it seems to be becoming that now, is it, it not? It may. And I'm not so sure that's a great idea. I, I actually believe in the idea of choice between centre ground parties, which is common enough across Europe. You know that uh, you can have a centre party that's a bit left of centre. You can have a centre party that's more right of centre. Uh, but the idea there has to be an extreme between left and right, I reject. And in many ways, Fianna Fáil was a rejection of the idea that there had to be a left versus right. And that's what gave the country the stability that allowed the industrial and economic development that we have witnessed. Because this is not, despite what Sinn Féin and others will say, this is not a failed state. One of the things that tends to happen with politicians and with politics is there comes a point where the numbers overwhelm all else. And when you look Mm -hmm. at the current numbers, it's waddling and quacking a lot like a right-left split and it's hard to see how that results. Yeah, just uh, look at the numbers again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Look at the number of independents that are centre ground, but are more rural based. It's, it's you, you, no, I take your point. There is a left-right divide emerging. Although, as soon as some left-wing politicians see perhaps themselves getting closer. They become a bit more centre and just watch that space. Um, but look at the number of independents uh, that are centre ground who left centre ground parties. Um, you have the Royal Alliance, you have the regional um, group, for example, you've up to 16, 17 TDs in the Doyle. It's quite interesting. And then you have some left wing independent TDs as well. But you think the numbers uh, there I think that's carry enough weight and mass to overwhelm the split that we're seeing between Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil on one side and Sinn Féin on the other? Uh, it's going to be very interesting, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's very much, uh, it's far too early to make any predictions on that. One final prediction, because time is against us. Will you be back as Taoiseach? Yes, that's my intention. Yeah, yeah. Michal Martin, Taoiseach, thank you very much. And that's Michal Martin heading to the Fianna Fáil or that. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday morning at nine on News Talk.